thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. Hey, let's thank our team again for leading us out today. Man, they do such such a good job, and they are here so early every Sunday morning to uh, man to love and to serve the Lord in that capacity. And I just man so grateful for them, and so glad that you are here. And it's our heartbeat to connect everyone with the life changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And Sundays are a big part of that. And so thank you for being here. If you're visiting, we are honored that you are here. And it is our hope that together we get to make much of Jesus. Everybody doing good this morning? Everybody all right? A little bit of fall out there. I love this weather and glad that you are here. This past week, I had the joy of being in Charlotte, North Carolina at a Christian school, and I had the joy of preaching the gospel over a few days and absolutely love my time there. And, and you know, I've not been in student ministry for almost five years now. Still get a whole, whole lot of nerves going on, a little bit nervous to, to preach in them. But over the few days, we saw dozens of students come to faith and trust in Jesus and saw man, just hundreds of them come down the aisle and, and recommit their lives to the Lord to follow after him. Just a good time. But I want to share with you kind of an encounter I had after preaching to hundreds of these K through fifth grade children, man, just some of the sweetest kids on the planet, I had a little Hispanic boy come up to me, and he's just the cutest thing ever, and he came up to me, he's probably around second or third grade, and he goes, hey, hey, Pastor Anthony, I said, yeah, he goes, you're my favorite chapel speaker, I was like, well, you're my favorite student in this entire school, right, I love that, and, and I said, well, what's your name, and he goes, Jesus, I went, your name is Jesus, he said, yes, I was like, I love your book, right? Like, I, I love your work, man. I'm so glad. And I just want to say this. I may not be your favorite preacher, but I'm Jesus' favorite preacher, right? Just so you know, as we start out today, I'm just going to carry that title around with me, and, uh, and, and I just love my time there. It's good to be home, and, and I love diving into this new series in the Gospel of John. Last week, we talked about this, what it is to believe and to live, that in Christ, if we believe, then we have life. And today we're going to talk about a title of Jesus that is a little bit different for us that we may not know a whole lot about, but means a whole lot to us. And that is Jesus is Logo. So let's go ahead and let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. And as we do so, we turn to this Gospel, a, a Gospel like no other, being reminded of this. That as we begin to read the Gospel of John, that it has a singular goal. And that is not only to make much of Jesus, not only just to tell us about Jesus, but to expose to us who Jesus is. In fact, this is what John writes in John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I mentioned to you last week that the Gospel of John was simple enough for a child to wade into and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Well, today, we leave the shallow end of the pool, and we begin to dive deep into the deepest waters of our faith. So it is in John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, John, the author of the Gospel that bears his name by the witness and testimony of the early church. It is in John chapter 1 that we begin our study today. And let's begin with verse number one. And here's what John writes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Man, what an opening! What an incredible opening. These words have both the sound and the rhythm of a hymn that was more than likely sung in the early church. What an opening. You see, the Gospel of Matthew and Luke begin with the situations and circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. Mark begins his Gospel with Jesus in Judea, and yet it is John who begins his Gospel with Jesus in the beginning. And what a statement John is making here. And let me tell you a truth that we're going to unpack and that we're just going to camp out on today. And that is this, that in the beginning, Jesus already was. Hey, in the beginning, Jesus already was. Now, whether it's the phrasing or maybe the language of in the beginning or this creation thing, the language of light and darkness, does this opening in John remind you of anything? Perhaps another A book of the Bible, you know what we begin to see is these opening verses in the Gospel of John are an echo of the creation account found in Genesis 1-1. And I want us to take a look there. So take your Bibles, go all the way to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to read the first verse from what is called a leaflet. This is a page out of a 1625 King James Bible. So this leaflet, this page of the Bible, is 397 years old and was gifted to me by a friend by the name of Ken Connor, who I love very much. I want to read this to you. As it was 397 years ago and as it is today, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's kind of an up-close shot of that, what I'm holding in my hand. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hey, so real quick, church, let me remind you, whether it is now and today, whether it was 397 years ago, or at the beginning of all time, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And see if this sounds familiar for John chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And watch this, and God said, let there be light. And and there was light. And they sound a whole lot alike. Why is it that John is evoking creation, this creation account in his opening? And let me tell you what he's conveying to his readers. That Jesus didn't just come on the scene at Christmas. If we're not careful, we're going to believe that God shows up on the scene at creation, Genesis 1-1. That Jesus shows up on the scene at Christmas. And that the Holy Spirit comes on the scene at the birth of the church at Pentecost. But what John's telling you is, no, 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 no. That even at the beginning, and even before the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all before the beginning and part of the wonder that is creation. You know what he's saying? Hey, in the beginning, Jesus already was. Jesus already was. Before the earth was formed, Jesus was. Before the advent of time, Jesus was. Before man was formed from the dust of the earth and the breath of God breathed life into their lungs, Jesus was. 
Paul would write in Colossians this statement. He would say, and he, meaning Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Man, I'm going to tell you, in this life, the only way I can hold it all together is if Jesus is holding me. We learn that from Paul in his letter to the Colossians. It is clear that John is making an emphatic and unequivocal statement that Jesus is not just some religious leader. He's not just some historical figure, not just some moral teacher, and he's not just some man. Yet what John is conveying is that Jesus is God. Watch what he says here in verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the word we're going to come back to this title, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And yet again in verse 14, as we did in the first few verses, we see the title of word used for Jesus. In the Greek language, it's one of my favorite words. It's logos. This is what it looks like in the Greek language. And this is how it looks in English, logos. And it's the definition for word or an expression of thought. And yet John uses it as a title for Jesus, as a name for Jesus. For those reading the Gospel of John in that day, when they read and they got to the word logos, logos meant a lot of things to a lot of people in that day. A lot of things to a lot of people. I begin to think about the Greek philosophers For them, logos was this impersonal, impersonal force that would explain the existence of reason and the order there was to the universe. But the one who formed the universe, but not only orders it, but sustains it, John would tell us is logos and none other than Jesus himself. You see, to the Jewish reader, Logos was synonymous with the the power of God, the creating force of God, and we find that here in Psalm 33, 6, by what the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. And so for the Greek philosopher, hey, listen, Logos is not impersonal. Rather, Logos is a person by the name of Jesus Christ. You see, the author of Hebrews would say this about Jesus in Hebrews 1.3, that he is the radiance of the glory of God. And watch this, the exact imprint of his nature. Hey, look, to look at Jesus is to look at God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This mysterious logos of Greek philosophy is not satisfied in philosophy but satisfied in the person of Jesus. For the Jewish person who reads and sees logos, God's logos wasn't just the power of God, but it was God clothed in the flesh who walked among us. The power of God, the logos of God is Jesus God in the flesh. You know, John would later write in another book of the Bible he authored in the book of Revelation, verse, chapter 19, verse 13, that Jesus, his name, is the word of God. So for the Jewish people, to see Jesus was to see God. You know our words, when we use our words, let me tell you what our words do. Our words begin to reveal and expose our very hearts and our very minds. That's why we use them. Now, sometimes we mess up with our words, but in general, our words are used to to reveal, to expose our hearts and our minds. Listen to what Jesus said later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 9. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Hey, do you want to know exactly what God looks like? You ready? 
John tells you, look to Jesus. You want to know exactly what it is that God does in his work? You know what John's going to tell you? Hey, look to Jesus. Jesus is the Logos that reveals to us who God is and what God is up to among his creation, and namely, his mission to save the world through his Son, Jesus. Consider this. Words are composed of what? Of the combination of letters. We find, again, John writing in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and he would say this, and I love this description of Jesus, that Jesus is the Alpha and he is the Omega, which are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, meaning in the English language, Jesus is from A to Z. He is the beginning and the end of life and of faith. For every believer. In him is where we find the beginning of life. And in him is where the search for life finds its end. In the beginning, Jesus already was. Now everybody check on your neighbor real quick, right? So these are some deep waters. We're fixing to go even a little bit deeper. Check on your neighbor. Make sure everybody's okay out there. Out of the Gospel of John, this is the deepest of teachings that we find here on the front end, and I absolutely love them. Hey, but not only does John make the case that Jesus in the beginning already was, but he gives us some strong teaching about the Holy Trinity of God. And we see teaching about the Holy Trinity of God all throughout Scripture. We find it here in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, where he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Right, we see this Trinity type language. Watch this in Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them what? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There is Trinity teaching all throughout the Word of God. But you might be asking yourself, Anthony, what in the world is the Holy Trinity? Can I put it in simple form? Is that you and I serve one God who exists in three persons. One God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Consider this in the teaching of John, and that is this. Watch. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This teaches us some pretty incredible things about the Holy Spirit of God. In, in this verse, we see three truths. Number one, that Jesus is different from God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. That Jesus is distinct from God in the beginning, but also that He is, watch, and the Word was with God. This word with means that He was face to face with God. But wait, wait a second. In the beginning was Jesus, and now he's, he's face to face with God. And listen to this, and the Word was God. And so not only he, is He there in the beginning, now He's face to face with God, and yet He is God, we begin to see what was said of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, in that first Christmas story, that you are to give him the name Emmanuel, for God is with us. And you consider, even at creation, if we're to go back to Genesis 1-1, whether we go back to our text today, or we go back 397 years ago, you know what we're going to begin to see? That at this creation of all things, that you have God who is speaking, you have Jesus who is creating, and you have the Holy Spirit of God who is hovering and shaping that which was void. 
And you go, man, that's big. Golly, it is. Absolutely, it is. Pastor, can you illustrate the Trinity of God so that I could better understand it? Probably not. But let me tell you how I've seen it offered up. Um, Consider this, maybe an object illustration. Consider this. This is the three states of matter, but we're going to deal specifically with water. Here's the three different states of water. You could take exactly the same water, and you can freeze it and it becomes solid or ice. Water is liquid, and it's one form. And then it can be gas or vapor or steam as it lifts up. So you have the same water, and yet it exists in three different states. There is solid, liquid, and gas. And you go, man, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good idea of trying to wrap your mind around the Trinity. But can I tell you something about this water illustration? It doesn't really quench our thirst for a deeper understanding. Let me give you another way. And by the way, there are dozens of ways to illustrate the Holy Spirit. Let me give you another way. And that is this, that of the person. So if you were to take me for a a minute, just as an example, uh, number one, I'm one person, but I've got some distinct jobs to do. So not only am I just Anthony Kendall, but I'm, I'm a husband to my wife, I'm a dad to my kids, and I'm a pastor to my church, right? I'm the same person, yet I have three distinct responsibilities. Here's the problem with just that illustration. That the Trinity of God is far deeper and more mysterious than the simplicity of my existence and man's existence. You see, one of the problems is is that no matter how we try to illustrate it, to find an explanation to fully satisfy our desire to know everything, every intricate detail, we come up short. And so, Pastor Anthony, this is what we pay you for. Explain to me the Trinity and all the details. And you know what I say? No! And I quit. I quit. It's just bigger than me. He is bigger than me. So where do I find myself? Where my intellect, where my thoughts and my reasoning fall short of fully comprehending this Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, I infuse my faith in the one who gifted to me my intellect and my ability to think and to reason. By the way, how many dads of daughters do I have out there? Could you just raise your hand, dads of daughters? I found this theologically wrong, but I love it. Watch this. My daughter's allowed three male friends, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I'll send that out to you this week. I don't think theologically it's good, but anyway, just worked in my situation. Here's the truth that John exposes to us. You ready? In the beginning... Jesus already was. It's hard to imagine the Trinity of God existing before the beginning of time. One of the most perplexing questions that I ever get posed is this. Who made God? Who made God? And the answer is less than satisfying to those inquiring minds. No one made God. God has always been and will always be. God existed before time in the perfect community of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It's hard to digest because we can't really fully wrap our minds around such a thought, and that is where faith comes in. Let let me put it to you this way. You ready? When you and I are born, we are born into a box. Meaning this, we as creation have been limited by our creator. 
We've been born, in a sense, in a box. God created us, in fact, all creation, with physical laws that govern life. The law of gravity, for instance. What goes up must come down. Let's just say I get in the spirit and I decide to run out that door and jump over that balcony. Gravity then begins to take over, and I'm going to hit that pavement and probably trigger a tsunami in Cuba, right? Why? Because gravity, what goes up, must go down. We are born limited as the creation by our creator. We are limited. One of the biggest limitations we face, and there's many, but but let me just bring this up. How about time? When you and I are born, we we are born into time. And we know this, and all we really know is things have a beginning and and things have an end, don't they? That's all we really know. All things that we see and experience have a beginning and end, including us. So it's difficult for us to truly wrap our minds around something better, yet someone who has no beginning or end. Time is is linear, meaning this, that, that time always advances forwards and it never stops and it never goes back. Time is always going on. You know, I love this movie, Back in the Day, Back to the Future, right? But we're not there yet. When it comes to time, there is no going back. And there's no advancing forward when it comes to time. We're bound by time. Therefore, it's hard to fathom, to fully comprehend that God exists outside of the parameters or the limits of time. In fact, time itself was created by him. You see, eternity, when we speak of eternity and eternal things, eternity is not just a designation of a period of time. In fact, eternity exists outside of time. There's no time there. And you know what that does to my mind? Because I don't, I I can't really understand that. Every day I've ever lived, It's been according to time, and yet you're telling me God exists outside of time? He created time? And that eternity is not a designation of time? Rather, it is a place where time is no more? It lies outside of my ability to fully comprehend, but does not lie outside of my faith to believe it. Pastor, you okay? Living in a world where you don't have every answer, being able to figure all of God out? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay because by faith I believe. And so I stand here before you today grateful that the God I serve is bigger than this three-pound brain covering about two and a half square foot of real estate between my ears. I am a limited creation in the service of an unlimited creator. A creator who existed before the beginning in the perfect unity of God the Father and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Do you know how many times in the beginning it says that God said and he spoke and creation happened? Nine times in the Genesis account. Nine times. And here John tells us, by the way, do you know who it is that God used to create all things? It's Jesus. It's him. Because in verse 2, through him all things were made. So while God was speaking, the Holy Spirit was hovering and shaping Jesus was busy creating. Let let me put it, can I just take all of that, which by the way, you go, Anthony, I'm not sure I caught all that. I'm not sure I caught all that. 
Let, let me simplify it to you. In a world where everything is made in China, everything, even made in the USA labels are made in China, you take our world, you look on the bottom, you know what John's telling you? You're going to find made in Jesus. You see, in the beginning, Jesus already was. What an incredible truth of the Word of God. And so here's how I'm going to close today. In about six minutes, I'm going to address some inaccuracies, some misconceptions that exist out there concerning this text and this whole thought and theology and doctrine of Jesus who in the beginning already was. This Jesus, the, the second person of this Godhead Trinity. In fact, I want to address somewhat, if we will, popular words, some fake news concerning uh, Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Uh, do you really know why it is that Christianity and Christians are so persecuted around the world by the nation and the people and the faith of Islam? Have you ever, I mean, why are they so mad at us? Why are the radicals bent on killing Christians, why are Christians persecuted by them so much around the world? Well, let me read from you from the Quran, chapter 4, verse 116. Now, I want you to be very careful to note that I'm not throwing it on my screen because I don't want you to even have the hint that the writings of the Quran are anywhere near or touch any place near the actual word of God. But let me, let me just quote from the Quran from you, for you. In chapter 4, verse 116, Verily, Allah forgives not the sin of setting up partners in worship with Him. God will not forgive those who sin by, by saying that anybody is equal to Allah. Now, let me say something. First of all, Allah is the God of Islam, the so-called God of Islam. He is not the same God of the Bible. Do not fall into that trap. He is not the same God. He is the God that Islam follows after. And what he's saying here is, if you set up anybody next to me, if you worship anybody else, you are guilty in sin. In fact, it's called shirk. And it's the most serious of sins in Islam. And that means this, that you don't believe in Allah as the one true God. You believe in many gods. So, Islam asserts that the reality and the doctrine of the Trinity is shirk is sin, is blasphemous because they purposely and mistakenly think that Christians worship three gods. Can I tell you where I agree with Islam? That it is absolutely blasphemous and wrong to believe in three gods. There I will agree, but here's where I differ. Christianity does not worship three gods. We worship one God and three persons. Hey, by the way, if you don't believe me, read our book. One God, three persons. Let me tell you some places you can find that in Scripture. By the way, by no means an exhaustive list. Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me says the one true God of the Bible. I love this Jesus quoting the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Says this in Mark chapter 12. The Lord our God, the Lord is what? He is one. And so you know what? Because of that truth, you ought to love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. You know he's saying love him with everything you got because the God we serve is one God. One God Three persons. 
And it is central not only to our faith, but to what John is teaching us about Jesus in chapter 1. And this is why we must stand against the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses who deny Jesus as God in the flesh and relegate him to being Michael the archangel, a created being, which is both unbiblical and untrue. That is why the teaching of Mormonism is so destructive. Can I tell you what's going to happen? It happens to me every time. Every time I mention Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, I get a letter in the mail from a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness. So if that's you here, you're watching, let me send the letter, just come to my house, I promise I won't hide, just, oh, I'll open the door, and let's talk about Jesus. Here's why Mormonism is so destructive, for they hold that this, you ready, that in Christianity there are three gods, and like Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus was created, and that we all become like Jesus, we all become gods like Jesus through their faith, thus attempting to deny and to empty Jesus of his deity and his rightful designation as the second person in the Trinity, God in the flesh. Jesus was not created. He is co-creator with God, and he was God. Have you ever seen these bumper stickers? Listen, if you got one out there, I ain't mad at you, but I want to say something about it. You see this, and I'm going to tell you where this goes right, I'm going to tell you where this goes wrong. It is right that we must coexist with people who don't believe like us. Listen to me. Nowhere in Christ are you commanded to go destroy those who do not believe like you, but you are sent to love and to serve and to share and be the gospel, to be that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so absolutely we must and we get the joy of coexisting with people who do not believe with us in order to win them to Jesus. But let me tell you where it gets it wrong. This makes even the cross of Christ and Christianity seem as if it is equal in faith and in value. And there's where it errs. John, in his writing, warns us to be careful not to buy in that all faiths are equally valued because John would tell us, and I echo what John would say here, that there are not many gods, but there is one God, and Jesus rises above the rest in power as the glorious, the Son of God and God in the flesh. Out of all faiths, out of all gods, there's one who rises above them all in truth. John chapter 1, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So hear me, church, you ready? There is one God. His name is not Allah of Islam. It is not Buddha of Buddhism. It is not Shiva or the many of the 330 million gods that in Hinduism that bear that name. God is not the Zeus of Greek mythology. He is not Jupiter in Roman mythology. He is the one true God of the Bible, not the Quran, not the Jehovah's Witnesses New World translation and falsification of the Bible, not the Book of Mormon, but the Bible, the Word of God. In the Bible, God is known as the I Am, Yahweh, Elohim, and Adonai. And John teaches us that this Jesus clothed himself in flesh, that God clothed himself in flesh and made his dwelling among us and was given the name that is above every other name, that according to Philippians chapter 2, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what that means? That one day, Muhammad 
will bow and confess. That Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, will one day bow and confess that Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, will one day bow and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not Jesus as they wished him to be. Not as Jesus as they watered him down to be. But Jesus as he is, God's Son and God in the flesh. Now listen, I'm pretty passionate about the Lord and about Jesus. But I don't raise my voice. I don't, I don't push passionately with any type of joy thinking of those who've missed Jesus. As I've prepared all week, the very desire of my heart that everyone who is a Muslim would know the Jesus of the Bible. Hey, listen, the Quran talks about him. But that's not the Jesus we know. That he wasn't just a prophet, but that Jesus is the very Son of God and in him is life. I want, I, I want Muslims to know the true Jesus. I, I don't preach it with any kind of joy. Thinking of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, who Jesus is all over their works, the name at least, but they empty him of his power. And I just want them to know the power of Jesus for life and in their life. Jesus as he is, not what they make him out to be. That he's not just one of many gods in Hinduism, but that he is God in the flesh. That he's just not enlightenment in Buddhism. Because Buddha will never lead you to faith in Christ. It's a life eternal only Jesus does. And so as I preach it passionately, I do so with great compassion for those who don't know Jesus. And this is where it leaves us. You ready? It's why we must work together as his church to take the good news of Jesus to Muslims and Mormons. You know what that means? When you see in your ring doorbell, two of them riding up on bicycles, pushing a button, you don't yell to your kids, get down, hide, don't make a noise. But that you open your door, you sit them down, and you share the good news of Jesus. Zach and Ivanka, I see you guys back there. You know, I was almost late to your wedding because I had a, uh, back in Charlotte, North Carolina, because a, a Mormon had come to the door. And man, I thought, i got to win this guy to Jesus. I didn't. But I wanted to spend time with him. That means you open your door and you share the gospel with him. To the Buddhists and the Hindus, to atheists and agnostics, to all those who are lost and apart from Christ. Our job is to love and to serve them and to share the gospel with them. Because here is what we are convinced, as John was convinced as he wrote his gospel. In him meaning Jesus is life. And that Jesus is the light of all mankind. And that his light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not, will not overcome it. And we exist in part as his church to share the love 
and the light and the life of Jesus as he is, not as others would wish him to be or water him down to be, but the glory and the beauty of Jesus as he is. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian author. And if you think I've preached it all over your heads, you ought to read his stuff. He said this about Jesus. From claims that John would make about him in John chapter 1 to claims that Jesus himself would make about him being God that we see all throughout the Gospel of John. You know what C.S. Lewis said? Somebody making claims like that, you've got to come to one of three conclusions. Number one, that he is a liar. Number two, that he is a lunatic. Or number three, that he is Lord. Think of it. Doesn't that make sense? I, I, I get done with the sermon. You walk up here and go, hey, Pastor Ray, just to let you know, I'm God. Security. No, you know, you just go, hey, hey, you're, you're, you're not being truthful. You're a liar. You, you come up to me and go, hey, if you just say, no, really, I'm God. You know what I'm going to start to think? Sums off upstairs. You're crazy to think that you are God. Hey, hey, think of that. Jesus exists in the, in the, the writings of, of the Quran and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism. In fact, other faiths would say that he was a moral teacher, a good man, a historical figure. Tell me what good man claims to be God and isn't what we just call him a liar. Tell me what moral teacher there is who claims to be God and isn't. Isn't he just a little bit crazy? So where does that leave us? Maybe, just maybe, he is Lord. And let me ask you this. Is he the Lord of your life? Have you ever trusted him with your life? You know, I've heard it said so many times that Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all when it comes to your heart your life. Who is your Lord? John would write so that we would believe in Jesus and that by believing in his name, we may have life. And I'm going to tell you, everybody in this room is living, but not everybody in this room has life that only Jesus can bring. He is logos. He is life. But is he your Lord today? Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.